Welcome back to New York 20. I'm Tom. And I'm John. And we're here coming to you today immediately following the Miami Heat's Game 7 victory in the NBA Finals. Yeah, was in what was a close game, and then at the end, a couple questionable things, and we'll get into that, along with uh, some of the Mets stuff. Big debut from Wheeler. Uh, we got talking Matt about Harvey. it forever. Yeah, well, finally, Getting finally we get to really his, talk yeah. about it. <laughs> Tom's like, finally, we can talk about actually what Wheeler yeah. did and not what he's going to do and what we expect him to do. But, uh, you know, on the same day, we have Harvey Flirt with a no-hitter. They made a couple moves, the Mets front office. We got some Yankee news. Uh, obviously, Rangers hiring a head coach. The announcement should be tomorrow. And a couple more things. But we're going to start right there, obviously, with Game the 7. Game 7, because how could you not? Yeah. And you know what? I really want to start with Game 6. Because I think, okay. and I said this at the time, Game 6 was the series. I think whoever won Game 6 was going to walk away with it. And that's ended up, you know, how it turned out. But um, San Antonio had every opportunity to win Game 6 in the last... 30 seconds of the game, the last minute of the game especially. They did. One missed rebound. Free throws, one no missed rebounds, free throw. Yeah. One, like, you know, contested three-pointer. Uh, <laughs> and there's no game tonight. We, we maybe were able to record this about three hours earlier and I get sleep. But um, <laughs> instead, you know, we go to Game 7. And the Game 6 loss to me is just inexcusable. For a veteran team, like, this, this is the type of mistake a team makes their first trip to the Finals. Right. When you don't have a Tim Duncan, you don't have Greg Popovich. I can see the Knicks doing this if they get to the finals, you know, for their first time since 99. This is a horrible, horrible loss on the Spurs in Game 6. And then once that was over, you know, I they, they kind of hung in a little bit today, but I thought whoever won Game 6 won the series, and that's how it shook out. Yeah, oh, especially with Miami having the home court. That's huge. You know, yeah. it's, it's really big, even though, you know, a lot of their fans leave Midway through the game. Uh. <laughs> which is hilarious, which, like, is such a consolation for me because I hate, you know, Miami. I really dislike LeBron James in a lot of ways. Um, I was justifying this to somebody today, too. They were like, how do you hate? He's so good, blah, blah, blah. It's like, but he just, he's soft in so many, in so many, like, ways, right? He didn't want to go and try and take the team on his back in his hometown in Cleveland, so he left and went to play with two other guys right. and made it into this huge production, right? Oh, the decision, the, like, just, just if you want to go play in Miami and, and win a championship, like, yeah, I want to go play in Miami and win a championship and just do that. And then you look at the way he plays, and he has the ability. He has all of the talents in the world to be Michael Jordan. Right. He is trying to be Magic Johnson instead. He's trying to, like, distribute to everybody else and make everybody around him better, which is really good in a lot of ways. But there are times where you need to go and put the team on your back, though, and he he doesn't do it. Like, he goes yeah. and, 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 you know, is a little too passive. I think we did see a little bit of that in this series, a little bit of a coming-out party for him in that regard. I mean, he's great. We all know how good he is. But I think there was a little bit more. And look, and, uh, they but, wouldn't have won otherwise. Exactly, exactly. I was just going to say that. I mean, can you say that on the flip side of it, maybe it's a consequence of Wade being banged up and not the player he was, say, two, three years ago, and Bosch being, like, the invisible man yeah. for the entire player? playoffs and and even before that i mean he is just well look you want to talk soft and bosh is very clearly (laughs) soft i'll I'll give him credit though game six he made a couple of huge plays defensively he did getting rebounds creating second chances the block shots and the game he made some big plays in that this game he completely no showed i don't think he had a point he did not he did a five fouls though yeah i mean that's that's that way he could have had a six too which was you know which was questionable (laughs) and that got that uh that got went uh miami's way but but you know what though the thing with bosh goes back to what you were just saying about uh how the spurs kind of gave away 
away game six a little bit, and it's yeah. like, you know what? Bosch made a couple great plays, but is that really credit to Bosch or an indictment on the Spurs for not, you know, being able to man up and body a guy who has played like a wet paper towel for the entire finals? And like I said, even before that. Yeah. And uh, part of that goes to Popovich. He took Duncan off the floor. Duncan's the guy that, yeah. you know, is, is going to go and get that rebound. And they got scared of the three and it burnt them. You know, they gave him extra opportunities. So, you Speaking know, of Duncan. Yeah. Coming up with a a, a bad miss. With yeah. A handful of time left on the clock. Yeah. Like seconds. seconds. Yep. And, uh, you know. The opportunity to tie the game down to and, you know, uh, match up with Battier, which is what you're, you know, if you're Tim Duncan, that's the kind of matchup you're looking for. And Yeah, and I mean, listen, not, not a... Not an easy just kind of tap in, but basically, no, I mean, it, it was just, got it ball. was one spin move shy of that, you know, yeah. I mean, he had a little bit, he had a backup on him a little bit underneath and, but a makeable basket for Tim Duncan. Yeah. A makeable basket nine times out of 10. You do not want this to be the time that you miss it, needless to say. Yeah. And this, you know, this is a team that's going for their fifth championship with yeah. Tim Duncan and Popovich and all that. And, you know, they, they came up short and that's what surprised me so much about the way they lost game six and eventually lost this series is they, they've been here. They've done this. They know how to win. Yeah. And, you know, I guess that kind of thing happens. You know, even you look back at the Yankee dynasty, right? They lost the series in the ninth inning of game seven. You know, things happen like that even when they're an experienced team. So I I was surprised that they lost game six the way they did. I was not surprised they lost today. I I thought they were, you know, just gassed a little bit. They were older. They had guys on the bench. Ginobili played terribly again after (laughs) that big, big run in game five for a lot of points. I thought the whole series was who's going to be less washed up, Dwayne Wade or Manu Ginobili. (laughs) Like, that's, that's pretty much what it came down to. Yeah, yeah. I guess the big thing for the Heat is obviously having LeBron James and when you have... You know, when Tim Duncan is your superstar, I mean, he's, I wouldn't say he's washed up, but he's old. I mean, he's a shell of what he was. So, you know, when you have nobody really to defer to, especially when Parker's banged up, yeah, the groin injury or the hamstring injury, whatever it was, you know, there was really no, they had no choice but to give Ginobili as many minutes as they did, really. Uh, I don't even know at this point if maybe, you know, the the run that he had in Game 5 was maybe a bad thing for them. Yeah. I, he was on the verge yeah. of getting his minutes cut like dramatically for anyone. I know they don't have a lot to turn to. I just said that, but you know, I mean, he was right on the fringe there. But then he goes off and has a very you know Ginobili kind of game. Gets him in it, gives you hope, gives you okay that maybe he can put his like stamp on a couple more games. Only two games left. Yeah. Let's run him out there, and you know it might have came back to bite them. A That's true. Bit. Even in this game, you know he knocked down a huge three to get them within a possession. Yeah, um, you know just kind of pulled up from three, took the shot, knocked it down, and then didn't sit the rest of the game. You yeah. know, and and you and know. made I, at least two oh. mistakes after that. An well, obviously to ice the game at the end, at the very yeah. end on their last offensive possession, just leaving his feet. Yeah. behind the back pass. I mean, he basically threw it right to LeBron. He threw LeBron James' <laughs> hands, yeah. And, you know, they, they didn't bite on this. You know, they, they switched. But, you know, perfect defense from Bosch and James on that sure. play. Um, you know, uh, James stayed with Duncan when, when Ginobili cut underneath the basket and just intercepted the pass. Like, there was no chance. That was Sanchezian, you know, type of pass. <laughs> And, and then he missed, like, a, you know, a three that really ended the whole game. You know, he pulled up from deep, and, you know, after that, that was really it. Yeah, and, you a little know. desperation there, though. Yeah, point, which you but. get, which happens. But uh, he was on the floor for all of that, despite his problems, I think, in a large part, because he made that three to get it close, and, you know, Pop showed his, his faith in his veterans, to, you know, that got him there. But, uh, you know, one it broke I down. Will, one thing I will say for it is that, 
It was a very, very, very good finals overall. I had a great series. You know, I, I I watched most of it, which is something I don't typically do, as you know. Yeah. Um, and also, it was a very good game seven after a great game six, True. which typically does not happen. Yeah. I mean, the game was close. Obviously, you know, the Heat kind of pulled away at the end, made it a little uninteresting. There was no buzzer beat or anything like that. Yeah. But the game was close with four minutes, three, four minutes to play. So, I mean, that's all you can ask for. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think the NBA did a good job, which is rare for me to say that. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of buzzer beaters, too, a big one was end of the third quarter. Uh, Miami knocked down a three at the buzzer to yeah. uh, to go back ahead. And that, that's, you know, you look at all those little things that add up, a 35-footer that goes and, and you know, gets you three points. Right. At the end of the game, that adds up. That's, that's yeah, really that's, a huge that's deal. True. Absolutely. Let me ask you, do you think, and it's a hard question to answer, but let's just let's take it immediately following the game, immediately following the series. Do you think that the better team won? I think absolutely the better team won. Okay. No question the better team won. The better team should have won probably two games ago Okay. Um, based upon where the talent level is. However, mm-hmm. because the Spurs are a veteran team, a, you know, a, a strong-willed team that plays hard and really does a lot of things the right way, is very well coached, they got it to Game 6 where they should have won the series and got it to Game 7 where you know they could have won the series. Miami is bounds away better talented right. talent wise okay. than than San Antonio at this stage in the game um so you know that's how it happened but San Antonio you know give them tons of credit for for getting where they were they they blew it they they really had the opportunity to beat the better team and had San Antonio won game six I would have said absolutely not the better team just like it, it when when Dallas won when Dallas beat Miami Dallas was not the better team than Miami right yeah, that's true. That's a fair point. Like Dallas said, just outplayed them, you know, and yeah. I think that that's what it came down to in this series. Which you had is, a little bit of that early, which yeah. allowed the Spurs to, you know, get it this far, which yeah. is impressive. I mean, you know, you feel for him, but can you feel for, you know, a guy in Duncan or even Popovich you have, you know, four rings together? Uh, yeah, sure. You know, I, I, but you, you feel for it in the way. I, I would, of course, you like to root against the, the, the powerhouse. You, a lot of people like to root against LeBron James. and you know, Look, the it's big Team three. Anti-Heat. That's, yeah, that's exactly. what it is. Team Anti-Heat, you know, Knocked them down as much as possible, but now that you know, you have to listen to every you know Miami, quote unquote Miami fan talk about their dynasty All and blah blah blah. And <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Like I don't want to do that. Honestly, in these situations, I always feel bad for the real fans, uh, right? You know, like, <laughs> like the, the real, guy from like, Miami. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> like the died in the wool, tried and true, sat through like abysmal seasons and yeah. ugly jerseys, like that kind of guy that then has to put up with the bandwagon jumpers. Yeah. You know, because those are the ones that it, it's frustrating for everyone. I think it's even frustrating for those guys, and they have to deal with them in their own city. Yep. You know, imagine you have that guy who's in your circle of friends that, like, you know, your team gets hot, and you ride with them the whole time, and then he's, like, hanging out with you at the bar, and he's like, oh, no, right? You know? Yeah, yeah I'm love- telling you. And you're like, oh, come on, man. Enough's enough. So that's who I feel for. I love Shane Battier. <laughs> <laughs> that's, it's tough, yeah. Um, so on that topic as well, um, I'm going to go with uh, something that you know maybe we'll introduce and start doing a little bit more. Uh, but really stupid tweets, right? I'm all for stupid tweets. I like. I feel like this is such an untapped medium because there are just <laughs> so many of them, and I feel like we need to share some of these things. So I can uh, agree with that. My stupid tweet following Game Seven today is from uh, Geezy Run This at Geezy Run This. I, I don't know how you pronounce the G. It's G E E Z Y Run This. Um, LeBron played great, but MVP goes to Ray Allen and Shane Battier, hands down. Heat don't have a chance without them. 
Okay, Geezy. First of all, no. All right. Period. Look. <laughs> I, and, and it's Tong. You know, so T-O-N-G is your, your name on there. Maybe that's your name. I don't know. But, Geezy, listen. Ray Allen had as big an impact on a series as you can have by making that one shot he made in Game 6 to tie. Absolutely. Five seconds left. You knock down a three to tie the game. That's, like, legendary. Shane Battier was, I think, six for seven from three today. He was, I think, yeah. Without that, like, huge. Can't, like, unbelievable. LeBron James scored 30-plus points every game, put up triple-doubles every game, and is the best player in the world. Right. Carried the team. Like, did everything. And I I was seconds away from, like, you know, hating on LeBron and his game and all that stuff. But he is still the best player, and despite the things that I think he could do better, he is still far and away the best player in the league. Absolutely. And far and away the best player in the series. Yeah. I mean, on either side. Listen, a lot of guys, they had a lot of role players on the Spurs, put up some nice numbers. And obviously you're never going to give it to a guy who's on a losing team. Right. But... You know, there is there is no comparison. There is no comparison to what he can do against anybody else who is on the court. And that includes Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh. Yeah. I mean, you look at this team, you take LeBron James off the heat, and even with the other two members of the big three, Wade and Bosh, where are they? Not even close. Exactly. Not even close. They're, they're not through any of these rounds. They're, they maybe win a couple of games in the first round. That's it. Yeah. Without LeBron James, the Miami is nowhere near this, and he is, of course, the Finals MVP. So that actually puts him uh, with Bill Russell and Michael Jordan as two guys to win back-to-back titles and back-to-back MVPs. Um, Good company. Great company. Um, And this is a chance for LeBron. You know, I would love to see, and for all the criticism I have, I think he's too passive. I think he has the ability to be Jordan and doesn't want to be Jordan. I think it gives him the opportunity now, if they can win three in a row— Maybe, you know, maybe say Miami, maybe establish a dynasty and win three in a row, four in a row, which, you know, Michael didn't do. Right. Um, or, you know, opt out of your contract, get to the end of this, maybe win two, maybe win this third, and then things start to break up and go back to Cleveland. And, you know, they Where have they're Kyrie building Irving. A nice little, uh, yeah. nice little core down there without him. He goes back there, he could be the missing piece. Yeah. They win Kyrie Irving. I think that, when you look at LeBron's legacy, that's the thing that's going to be missing if he doesn't go back. Is he went to his hometown, he was drafted there, he played seven, eight years there, and did not win a title. Right. Took, to them, cl- took them to a finals with nothing. Sure. But not swept by these same Spurs, actually. Not for nothing, too. It's Cleveland. Cleveland right. doesn't win anything ever. Like, even the worst city they'll lose to Detroit just so they can lose a little bit more. <laughs> Cleveland has never won, and that's where he's from. And if he goes and retires, even if he wins, like, nine championships with Miami, if he never wins one with his hometown, I think that's held against him. I think that's, like, a black mark on his record. Yeah. And well, I think he knows that. I think he's kind of like A-Rod in the whole, I know what my big-picture legacy is going to be, and I need to, to yeah. account for that. It's also the fact, I mean, even if you take hometown out of the equation, which is hard to do, but let's say, for argument's sake, you know, it was the team that drafted him, yep. and he went somewhere else. And the biggest knock since it happened yep. was always that, not that, you know, Jordan had to bring other players in to play with him, mm-hmm. but that they came to play with Jordan. Yeah, Jordan didn't leave the team he was totally. drafted to go play somewhere else to be with the pieces that he needed yeah. to win, ultimately. And I think that's the thing. Yeah. You know, that's the thing that haunts him the most. And, you know, he needs to, because clearly he's the guy. Like, let's be honest. He's the guy on this team. Wade won a championship without him, but Wade had Shaq. Yep. Who, that was his last hurrah, really. And Wade was a dominant player at that time. Correct. He's not that anymore. He is not. No. 100%. 
it's and so I would love to see him to go and take. So as a as a sports fan, as a basketball fan, I want to see him go and take that leap to the other level. He's still at this like great MVP style player, but I don't put him ahead of like Kobe. You know, I, I think you know big picture career wise, like he's he's not there yet. Right. You know, he has more work to do, and I think he can do it. I think he's fully capable of getting there. But I want to see that. I want to see him go and take that leap. And you know, this is an opportunity for him incredibly fortunate is the way that I'll put it today too because after games they had no business winning game six yeah and if they lose that game off of LeBron's brick and turnover in the last minute Oof. of the game like that's that's like striking out with the base strike loaded. the other way yeah that's like a <laughs> Carlos Beltran type you know Oof. type of thing don't go there I just I have to dig a little bit because you have some positive things coming up about the Mets so I just gotta <laughs> throw that in but you know I, I he's very fortunate and now he has this opportunity and I want to see him take advantage of it I'd love to see him you know go and prove something uh, and maybe, you know, next year losing the conference finals to the Knicks sometime. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. From complete and utter dominance by LeBron to complete and utter dominance by the man, the myth, the legend, Matt Harvey. Yeah. Now, I wanted to come on here when we left last week. I said we wanted to bring a little bit more juice into the baseball conversation. We wanted to start with it, obviously, with the finals wrapping up. We had to go with that first. Game seven's game seven, but yeah. I was going to lace into the Mets for their poor play for their just lackluster attitude, for their just complete confusion and what are they doing. But then Tuesday happened. Yeah. We had a doubleheader against the Braves, and we had Matt Harvey pitching the day game, and Zach Wheeler finally making his Major League debut. Zach Wheeler, I haven't heard you mention him at all yet. I have not mentioned Zach Wheeler once on this podcast. (laughs) Is he like a big deal? Is he a guy you're you're looking into? Yeah, absolutely. I would say so. No, uh, clearly, I mean, you guys have been following along, not just us, but just sports in general, especially here in New York. And and Zach Wheeler is a huge deal, obviously acquired two years ago uh, from the Giants organization for Carlos Beltran and what was the steal of the of the trade deadline then and probably still enduring, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, until this year, we'll see what happens. But, you know, so you got Harvey, he comes out and basically almost throws a no hitter, takes it into the seventh inning, uh, gets the win. Nice, tidy. We get out of there. We're good. And then you have the main event, which is the wheel of debut. And he looked a little shaky in the first inning. You know, a little bit of jitters. Listen, he's been, yeah. he grew up a half hour away from Atlanta. Okay. Rooting for the yeah. Braves. He had friends and family <laughs> like crazy out there. Um, but the guy went out there and was as good as advertised. 97, 98 mile an hour fastballs. That's nice. Incredibly sharp curveball. Yeah. And listen, six innings, no runs, seven strikeouts. Five walks, which you don't like, right. but again, the jitters, I think two or three of them came in the first inning, okay. so it was like, but he pitched out of some jams, got big strikeouts, got big pop-ups, and for Met fans who have been looking for some positivity in the last couple of years, there hasn't been much of it, Yeah, he really showed it. The two of them together showed you just where this franchise could go, and I know it's one game, or two games, rather, one day. And you don't want to put too much stake in it, but when you have guys with this kind of stuff come up, it's exciting because yeah. it really does kind of change. You could see that they they're the type of players that can change the whole aura of this baseball team. They really are. It's it's really just Java mania, you know. It's, it's really <laughs> incredible, and I'm excited for Met fans. Um, 
but you're right. You know, I, I poke fun at things like that. But you have a guy throwing 98. You have a guy who's dominated since he's been called up in Harvey. And yeah. these are two, like, two ways you can go and turn your franchise around very quickly. You know, you look at the way the Marlins won in 2003. I look back at Beckett and Pavano and, you know, like, the, the, the rotation they had there yeah. was... It, Really, that, and then Juan Pierre and a couple of hitters, and and that was it, and that got them a World Series title. Yeah, and obviously the name of the game is pitching. It starts there, you know, and and for the Mets, it bodes even, uh, you know, well because they're not they're in a position where they can probably keep some of these guys. Yeah, (laughs) not like the Marlins where they have to build it up just to disband it. I mean, I think Dontrell Willis was on that team. Yep, Uh, Carl Pavano, Josh Beckett that you mentioned. I think uh, AJ Burnett was on that team. Yeah, I mean that's a hell of a staff. Some of those guys have fallen off since, but no, still. You know, they were coming off monster years. And obviously the key with that is the bullpen, too. You know, and you look, obviously that's where the Mets have a need. They have a need in the bullpen. They have a need in the outfield, and that's not a 2013 thing. That's a 2014 thing. Right. But both very correctable. You can find outfielders with bats. You can find guys in the bullpen who can throw. If you allocate $11, $12 million to the bullpen and pick up three or four arms, you're, you're yeah. set. And that's not Absolutely. a ton of money. That's not a huge investment. It seems like they have a closer now. In Parnell, yeah, absolutely. and they've been pretty adamant. I know. Listen, you can you can play the game, whatever. But um, they've been pretty adamant that they're not going to trade him to a team, you know, this season yeah. that might need a closer. And I think that that's the right move because they don't really have an heir apparent. I know right. the money ball strategy says sell high on closers, but you really need to have another guy that you're confident in. Maybe yeah. they do. Maybe it's all smoke and mirrors right now. And I think in the right deal, you could move Parnell. But I think if you can solidify the back end, he's affordable. He's under control for the next couple of years. Yeah. You know. I think the closer argument, too, is is an interesting one. Having watched the Yankees with Mariano Rivera, you can say sell high in a closer all you want. If you have one, uh, there's a lot of value in keeping one. Right. And yeah. in New York, too, I think there's a lot of value in that. If there's a guy who can go and, and close games out and you know he can be the guy, he has that mentality, it's tough to give that up because it's very hard to replace. I will say that. I agree with you on that point because Parnell, when he first came up, was the kind of guy that, you know, 100-mile-an-hour fastball, mm-hmm. not much else. Very wild, very erratic, not much of breaking stuff, you know, just kind of out there throwing, not pitching. Right. And he had the stuff, even with that, to be a closer, mm-hmm. but didn't have the makeup. He put together a couple good outings, you know, middle relief. They'd bump him up to the eighth inning. He'd be okay, maybe a little up and down. He'd get a chance to close, and he'd blow it. He'd fold up under the pressure. Yeah. And this year, he's really taken a major step forward. He's had two games blown because of bad defense played behind him. Didn't let it bother him. Came out the next day or his next opportunity. Nice one, two, three, whatever, tidy outing and put it behind him. And then he's had some other opportunities where, you know, maybe the manager thought he was tired, didn't turn to him, or the manager didn't want to go to him in a certain spot. And he came out like, this is my inning. And when a guy like that can come out and say that, that's the thing. It's the mentality more than the stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah, throwing 100 miles an hour is great. And the knuckle curve he learned from Isringhausen when he was here is great. But if you have that makeup that, like, you're not going to take this inning away from me and you're not going to take this game away from me from the other team, yeah, that's, that's Look, what you need. Guys can throw 100. Kyle Farnsworth threw 100 miles an hour and right. had a great breaking ball and, you know, for all intents and purposes, had every physical gift you'd look for but didn't have the mentality. He gets that's in true. trouble, he'd walk three guys and lose the game on, a, you know, a double, and that would be it. 
So if you have a guy that you think has that, again, especially in New York, I feel like that's an extra well, layer of need yeah, there. Absolutely. You know, if you're in Tampa, you know, you maybe you can get away with it. Maybe yeah. you can be Soriano and, you know, just kind of fly under the radar and save 45 games. Even Farnsworth. Farnsworth yeah. had a good year in Tampa. Totally. Like, I think that's a, that's a doable thing in other markets maybe. But, you know, if you have a guy you think you can do it. And the other thing, too, the bullpen is a very volatile you know, thing year over year. Mm-hmm. If you have a great bullpen one year, it's not necessarily going to be that good the following year. Right. I think Baltimore is a good example. Baltimore has a lights out bullpen last season. They went sixteen and two, I think, in one run games. They won a ton of extra inning games, mm-hmm. uh, large part because of their bullpen. But this year, it hasn't been quite as good. They've taken a step a little bit further back because of that. Um, and you know, sort of back to back. I think with the way the Yankees are playing, with the way Tampa has been playing with Toronto, Baltimore, if they had last year's bullpen, could be you know right in front of everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, the fact that everything's so tight right now, I think, is a big part of that. So the bullpen, you know, it's a year-over-year thing. I think if the Mets go and invest the right way next year, their bullpen could be a very big strength. And then your overall pitching staff is then an asset. Absolutely. And again, when you have some of these starters that they're, they're projected to have going into next season, you're going to get guys that can give you more length, that can really dominate a game, which will in turn make your bullpen better, obviously. So, you know, with an eye on 2014, I just want to touch really quickly on some of the front office moves mm-hmm. that the uh, the Mets have been making. And, you know, Sandy came out. It really all happened with the Ike Davis demotion, and obviously Baxter and Carson went down the same day. But, you know, there was a lot to be made of that. It was a big deal. And he was out on the radio, and he's talking to everybody, saying that guys are going to have to be accountable, and that's everyone. And obviously not David Wright, not Matt Harvey. They were kind of the only ones doing their job consistently. But he preached accountability. He said that there would be a bit of a revolving door for guys, very short leashes, mm-hmm. as they figure out, not punting on 2013, but figuring out who was going to be a part of their plans for the future. And they were going to have short leashes with guys, especially guys that maybe they don't look upon so favorably. Right. And we've seen them action speak louder than words. And since he said that, he's acted on that. He brought up... Um, when, when Davis went down, one of the guys they brought up was Colin Cowgill. Right. He had a little bit of an opportunity, not much, but they're clearly not enamored with him, and he's actually since been designated for assignment for somebody else mm-hmm. that they are very high on, and Andrew Brown, he might not be anything either, but he's more of a front office guy. They brought him up. He actually hit a pinch hit home run today okay. to uh, get them closer, and they won tonight. Um, but that's the kind of savvy move that they're they're trying to do. They're like, you know what, we're going to bring up, we got a few prospects that we're hoping for, and they're not quite ready, but they can be here kind of any day now, any week now. They're just coming down the pipeline. Uh, Wilmer Flores comes to mind. Cesar Puello um, is an outfielder who may or may not be involved in that biogenesis thing, which I don't even (laughs) want to touch because Uh, who knows what's going on with that. Me neither. Let's leave that alone. (laughs) (laughs) As a Yankee fan, you don't want to go near that. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Too many people named. Bio what? (laughs) But... You know, they've, they've done some things, and he's, he, you know, he insists that, listen, if there's a guy available to me at the trade deadline that can help us not only this year but for the next couple of years, a, you know, a big name, a big ticket kind of player, we're going to go after him. We're going to be buyers as far as that's concerned. And he said, in the meantime, look for some smaller, you know, not cosmetic moves, but things to make the team a little bit better and a little bit more towards respectability now. And you saw that with, uh, they traded off one of their young pitchers who didn't really have a place here in Colin McHugh for Eric Young Jr. to the Rockies. Now, Eric Young Jr. is not going to wow you with his abilities, Mm -hmm. but here's what he does do. He's got major league pedigree, 
in that, you know, his father was a major leaguer, which is nice to always have. But he's got a ton of speed, and he's a great glove guy. That switch hits, can bat lead off and play center field. And those are three things the Mets sorely needed. And they went out and got a guy who's young-ish with some upside to fill that role. And all they gave up for him was a guy who had some nice minor league numbers but wasn't going to be in their plans. And that's the kind of move that shows you that they're headed in the right direction. And it's not all talk. And honestly, Met fans who are listening, I know I've been going on and on about this, not just tonight, but last couple weeks. You should be excited about it because I am. Yeah, no, finally, you know, you're moving in the right direction and you're getting, you're starting to reap some of the fruits of your labor. You know, you're starting to see and some of these it things. It has been laborious, I yeah. will say that. Yeah, um, you know, when you look at the standings and you're 12 games out, you know, that's, uh, you know, you, you, don't, you look at the big picture. You don't look at these, you know, little things now. You look at how this is going to impact your team long term. Absolutely. You're getting there. And like you said, we, there's some pieces there. Yeah. You know, either pieces that you can move. Or some pieces that you can hold on to. There's guys with value. You yeah. know, obviously you look, you know Wright will be here, you know Harvey will be here, uh, you know Wheeler will be here. Now that he's made his debut, I don't think there's any chance he gets traded right. if not one of those guys. But, you know, you still have Darno, who should be here hopefully sooner rather than later. But you got Murphy, who's a proven major league hitter. And you got Parnell. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a pretty solid core. You knew you were going to have to buy some outfielders. I think one of the two of Davis and Duda can be your first baseman. And then, you know, suddenly you're not that far off. Yeah. I think, you know, even simply looking at the money you're spending on Santana and reallocating that somewhere else. Like, I mean, that's... you can get three quality players with that money. Yeah. Like, above average quality kind of players. I yeah. mean, they're paying him $50 million, some crazy yeah. number, you know, it, it not quite. In. I think it's like $30 million they're paying him with the buyout for next year, like, right. factored in already. You that's, put that in, that that's a huge coup, you know, for your team. And I think that they're going in the right direction, and I think next year is, is going to be better. Obviously, you know, we talked about it, and I think they're... They're, they're starting to see some things, some positive things that you're yeah. going to look for for a team that's rebuilding like this. And it really starts with the pitching, and it, and it can really electrify a lot of things. And, I, you know, I listened to a particular individual who is on the radio here in New York in the afternoons, who I'm not going to mention, yeah. uh, on the way to work the other day. But he said, and, you know, he doesn't necessarily sing the Mets' praises all the time, but, you know, after the Wheeler and Harvey doubleheader he changed his tune completely from what it had been for a couple of weeks where they're terrible and, you know, the plan had always been 2014. And if you look at the way that they're playing, you got to wonder if that can really even be the case now. There's so many holes in Davis and Tejada and what's going on with these guys. After watching those two games, he was like, you know what? Harvey's the real deal and we know that. Wheeler's supposed to be better than he is. Now he doesn't even have to be. Yeah. That's the scary thing. He doesn't have to be better than Harvey. Harvey is clearly your ace. He's got that makeup. Not yep. only does he have the stuff, but he has the composure. So you go from hoping Wheeler can be your one to knowing you already have one, and now... Maybe here's number two. Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, I see your um, your magnets on the board there. I um, did, I did. A little, uh, <laughs> little gutsy, I'll say. Um, I would be a little... Uh, reluctant, if it were me. You can tell them what the magnets are. So there there are two magnets on the board. Are you giving one to somebody else? One's or? for a buddy, yeah. Okay, yeah. So they say pair of aces. Um, <laughs> it has a picture of, I'm assuming, you know, Matt Harvey and, uh, and Zach Wheeler. I don't really know what they look like, but I'm assuming that's them. Yeah. Um, it has two cards on the bottom right corner there uh, with Mr. Met and the Mets logo. 
both of them in the you know playing card format, and the little you know John Sapinara on the bottom right there to, yeah. to sign for, your work. For those of you who don't know, I'm a graphic designer by day. It's one yeah. of the things that I do. So I, it's they're nice, right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> they look they look pretty. I just you know, I, like I said, I've seen Java Chamberlain and Ian Kennedy and Phil Hughes on my team, and they look great for some time. Yeah, you know, like '97 too, and you know. Lots of great sliders, dominant, <laughs> flying around, and, you know, Jabba's going to be a royal next year. Ian Kennedy plays in Arizona. Phil Hughes is going to walk and sign with the Mariners. So <laughs> things happen, okay, is all I'm saying. Just maybe enjoy it. You know, enjoy no, it. Just I know. Run with right. it. You, you, you got nothing else, right? We so just enjoy else. it, right? So that's the thing. Just, just that's run really with it. That's really the thing. Obviously, you want to temper yourself a little bit because yeah. who knows what can happen. But you got to enjoy it. If you're a Mets fan, you have to because what yeah. else is there? At 12 games out, what else? Yeah, I just I would be so like sick to my stomach, concerned that it's not going to work out big picture. You know, because this is it. Like this is the thing you have. That's true. But besides I just, that, I just think that <laughs> law of averages, it's got to work out right. sometime right? soon. You know, we didn't break through in 2006 when everybody thought we were the best team in baseball, and yeah. it didn't happen. And, you know, they were like, okay, well, we'll get them next year. And it just went downhill from there. Yeah. You know, the last time we had guys like this come up that were supposed to be stud pitchers, it was, you know, Generation K. And they're all and heroin. And they're all, we know what happened <laughs> with that. That was a damn disaster. So, but just by sheer luck, if nothing else, just by sheer chance, flip of a coin, 50-50, this has to, like, something soon has to break our Right? Way. I don't know, though, because you're a Met fan and you're a Jet <laughs> fan, right? Like, when has everything ever gone right in your life? Never, Your really. whole life. Never. Like, your existence, nothing. Not right? many things. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm somewhat hopeful for you. But um, with all that, I'll move to something that, that's killing me, right? So, we talk about the Yankees a little bit. Uh, three and seven in their last ten. Really, you know... Struggling, I think, very much offensively. They had a tough West Coast trip. Um, split with the Dodgers the other day. Uh, lost series to the Angels. Lost series, um, you know, just prior to that to the A's. Um, and injuries have been killing them. So, you know, Teixeira goes back in the DL. Euclid goes back in the DL. Euclid's probably done. Done, yeah. Done at, as a Yankee. At I least mean, 12 They said uh, 10 to weeks. 12 weeks. Yeah, so it's three months. That, that's the rest of the season at best, you know. Um, so those guys are out, you know, I think... And Teixeira might be. I mean, they haven't said it. And we I don't know. I'm, I'm reluctant with him. You know, you, you hear the injury. It says, oh, you know, it's it's not the same thing. It's not a torn sheath tendon. Like, it's the same wrist that he hurt before. Like, let's not be dumb about this. Right. He hurt this earlier, you know, and tried to rehab it instead of getting surgery, and now it's hurting again. He needs surgery. Like, this is pretty yeah. clear he needs surgery. Absolutely. And they're just, you know, they're tabling it. But they're in trouble you know yeah. I, think I think we touched on it last week a little bit with Tashara I believe we mentioned it yeah. that uh, whoever it was last year or two years ago had the similar injury yep. and did the same thing tried to rehab it so that they could play came back played one or two games wound up getting the surgery anyway Yeah. so we don't know that that's what's happening with Tashara here but it seems like it's running that same kind of grim course right yeah. now I mean he got a cortisone shot he's on the DL they said seven days he'd be inactive regardless so they put him on DL just to open up a roster spot really right. um, and give him some time to, to rest but if I had to bet, I wouldn't say he's going to be on the team in September, you know, looking at the, the way this is going right now. And that's what you're worried about. You're worried about what the team is going to look like. So, uh, obviously, great job keeping Lyle Overbay, oh. and not, you know, jumping ship on there. And Huge. I, I think a large part of him playing right field is because they knew 
in their, you know, their heart of hearts that the sheriff is not going to be 100%. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't cut bait. Uh, you would have cut bait with him because yeah. you look at the move that they made, too. The corresponding move was to send uh, Brennan Bosch down, yeah. who is an outfielder. Exactly. Uh, so he'll be better out there than Overbay. Plus, he's younger, so he's fresher legs. And yeah. he's a left-handed power bat, which is essentially what you're hoping to get out of Overbay. Overbay right. probably a better overall hitter. Yeah. But, you know, it's... You know, splitting hairs really at that point, yeah. and everything would tell you keep Bosch. Yeah. So. So yeah, that's that's one of those moves that indicates they know more than they're letting on, and and clearly that seems to be the case. So you know, you missed Teixeira. The, the thing that's kept the Yankees in it right now is Boston's been struggling a little bit too. You know, yeah. the Yanks are three and seven in the last end. Boston's four and six, so they're right. still only three and a half back. Uh, Baltimore has been hot. You know, they've kind of jumped up the standings a little bit, but it's getting tight. Toronto's won eight in a row. Yeah, and uh, they're getting Reyes back. Yeah, you know, they're they're seven out. The Yankees right now are three and a half. It's it's closing up, and every one of these teams has a legitimate reason you can see why they would win the division, which right. is crazy. I don't remember the last time I've yeah. seen that in the division. And neither of these teams, I mean, if you want to say maybe the, the, the Blue Jays are going through it right now, yeah. but neither of these teams have went on the run. Yeah. And I think it's part and parcel the fact that they've been playing each other a lot, obviously, part, yeah. within the division, and the teams are so evenly matched, either in, you know, mediocrity or, you know, better than yeah, that, whatever. But, but. Um, yeah, neither team has really went on that run, and I think the first team that does that will really set themselves apart, especially if it's a team that's already, you know, leading or, or closer up. to yeah. it, yeah. And you look at it now, so, you know, the American League standings, you know, Boston's leading their division, uh, Detroit's leading their division, Oakland's leading their division, Texas is a game out, and, uh, you know, it's then Baltimore and the Yankees are right in the wild card race, Texas is, you know, right in the wild card race. A lot of the teams are at or below 500 at that point, beyond right. that. And, you know, I don't know, I think the Angels are better than they're playing, they're eight games under. I think, I think they're going to be due for a run, they just have... To me, one of the scariest offenses you can imagine. Yeah. If Pujols can put it together a little bit, and Hamilton can put it together a little bit. Like, you know, these are three guys who are 99s in video games that are, you know, two of them are not producing. Have you Um, seen Hamilton's numbers in real life? I haven't, no. Oh, my God, they're abysmal. If you want to take a second and pull them up, they're awful. It's, I mean, you look at that, how does that sustain? Like, it can't keep going on forever, you know? Like, these are guys who have, like, been MVPs. Multiple time MVPs, I mean, Like, they can't just keep being, you know, non-productive. So, I I think they're going to make a run just naturally that, you know, they have those kinds of players on the team. So, for the Yankees, it's really just about keeping their heads above water. And you start to wonder at this point, as we move from June, you know, mid-June into July. So... Josh Hamilton's batting 171. Yeah, that's correct. Is that that's a serious? real that's, that's a real, real batting holy, average? Wow. That is. Here's the scary thing. Okay, I know we don't live yeah, in LA, no, so we don't see them play every day. I will make a comparison for you. When he was sent down to the minor leagues, Ike Davis was hitting 168. Yeah, that's <laughs> and that was the worst um, batting average for a like, regular in the major leagues. I don't know what the the plate appearance number was at that point, minimum, but that was the worst. So that just goes to tell you how close. 210. 210 is 171 is the last 10 games. Oh, okay. 210. Clearly, he's on the other. He was below the Mendoza line for a while. That's why I bought into that. He must be on a hot streak now. He had two hits against Seattle uh, earlier this week. One of them was a home run. That's why he's up to, to 210. How many RBIs does he have? He has 10 home runs and 24 RBIs. Oh, my God. It's incredible. The home run number is not terrible. No, I mean, it's not, fine, not great for you know. him, but, you know, 
So one year ago, 43 home runs, 128 RBIs. He has 10 and 24. So that's uh, that's what I look at, right? So when you look at this story, is, is he going to be this bad for Like, I don't know what kind of things he has going on in California. Right. You know, he's had some problems in his past, and California's got a lot of things going on there. So maybe that's related. But I, I think it's just uh, uh, getting adjusted to your city and, and all those things, and I'll assume positive with, with Hamilton. Yeah, and we've seen that a lot with guys who sign their yeah. big contracts. It's not just signing big contracts to come here. Right. You know, anywhere, when you take the money and it is perceived that you're going there for the money and you're leaving the team that gave you a chance in Texas and all that other nonsense... You know, guys fold under the pressure. We're all just human, you know, yeah. and some guys can't take it their first year. I, you know, I, I think it'll regress to the mean. He's not a 210 hitter. No. He's, he's a home run hitter of an yeah. RBI machine. And he's probably a 310 hitter. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's 100 points below what his average should be, which is, it's, so, it's almost it's almost difficult to be that bad. Yeah. But that's the problem. We so when you look at it, success. yeah, absolutely. And, and when you look at it, the Angels are eight games under 500 right now, but they still have Houston in their division. And they get to play them a bunch in the second yeah. half of the season. That's a huge opportunity. Mm-hmm. Is Oakland an 11-game over team? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe they're know. pitching in that ballpark and all that, but I don't necessarily think so. I think they'll come back to the back a little bit. So now you're looking at this tight race in a tough division if you're the Yankees. There may not be two wild cards to go and jump into. There may right. not, like, It could be the division or bust. Exactly, and with all the teams they're playing, it, it, it's got to get you know better sooner rather than later. And mm-hmm. you know, you look at the offense. You hope Granderson comes back soon. Jeter started to take his his baseball drills. A Rod, I'd love to see you know able to come back, but I feel like he's going to be suspended before that gets to happen. So you're Might really yeah. you're really banking on these guys getting healthy. Like I said, I don't think the share is going to be an option. So you're going to need to Cano, Cano to carry the team. You're going to need Granderson healthy to, to provide that 40 home run power from the left side of the plate. Justin Morneau? <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. You know, you want Justin to sign me up for some Justin Morneau, I'm Justin down with Morneau it. Justin is the guy, I yeah. think, you know, at the trade deadline that the Yankees could look for. And I might even move, like, a pitcher. You know, you talk about, like, you know, the, the Batances, Benuelos, you know, yeah. those guys in the minor leagues. You know, Pineda's going to be back pretty soon. I think he's a guy you invested in as a young pitcher. You can give him a shot to, to sort of fill that role. And that's where the Yankees have been drafting is pitching. So if you're looking to move for a bat, that might not be a bad avenue to look at. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just real quick before we got into that uh, Hamilton tangent, yeah, what I was going to say was what you really look for the Yankees, given the, this, the competitiveness of the division and the whole American League at large, is that you want to see them just kind of stem the tide. Yeah. And just kind of fight through it. But here we are, you know, in mid-June, and they've already been doing it for two and a half months. And they've played better than anyone could have expected. And yeah. these role players have done a great job, and they've started to regress to the mean. Yeah. You know, with Vernon Wells and some expect, of these other guys. Yeah. As you would expect. So how much longer can they stem the tide? It's getting How thin. much longer can they hold the fort? Yeah. It's going to get late soon, and that's going to be a problem. If some of these other teams go on a run, the Yankees don't have to slip up all that much to find themselves on the outside looking in. Yeah, ton of credit for them hanging in this long. They're, they need reinforcements. You know, they I do. think that's the best way to put it. Is their their soldiers are worn, you know, to their limit, and they need some guys to go and step in to, to relieve them. Yeah. So you know, we'll see where that takes us. Uh, 
you know, I'm, I'm hopeful. Obviously, they still have enough stars compared to a lot of the other teams in There's the league a ton to, of to continue. Left, let's be honest. Yeah, we're we're in June. You know, you you get to the All Star break and you're in the hunt, then you're you're in business, and then you know, unless you're the Mets, then you fall apart in the second half. We know that. True. Yeah, because you never trade for a player when you have the opportunity. You go and stand pat at the deadline when you clearly need a bullpen arm, like the last two seasons. I, 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 it would drive me crazy. I can't. I don't know. I, without so they had no money to spend. Clearly. I know. Yeah. Well, let's see what happens this year when they get John Carlos Stanton. <laughs> adorable. Just adorable. I'm pushing for it. So speaking of adorable, we'll go quick. Uh, hockey, the Rangers are about to announce their new head coach, uh, which I'm thrilled with. I think uh, Vigneault, 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 I haven't heard it officially yet, so I'm going to keep going with just the French-Canadian Vigneault, um, as the way his name is pronounced. But That's close. That third one was the closest one. Elaine? Like, uh, yeah. Alan? Like, there's it's an extra Elaine. I, I think in it's there. Elaine like, What is that about? Just I be Alan. Like, yeah, every, no. you're, you're in New York now. Come on. Get that's you. true. Yeah. You're gonna be, you know, Alan Verrazano. You know, I think that's, that's a little bit. That's a little bit, you know, more New Yorker. Ever. That is what he's gonna be called from now on. Yeah. On this program, so if you listen, beautiful. That's what Alan Verrazano. Um, like I've been saying, you know, and, and I've noted it, but I think it's the right move offensively. He has enough of the structure. He has the contrasting style. You know, every time you bring in a new coach, it's the guy who's the different from his predecessor. So, Mangini was a tight ship. Rex Ryan is, you know, Rex Ryan. Do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Let's go get an effing snack. (laughs) Joe Torre was, you know, the very, like, you know, go with his gut, you know, I'm going to go and you're going to play today. You know, George Girardi is his binder. So you see that kind of thing change over. I think the Rangers are no different in this case. And it's interesting you look at it. Vancouver is looking potentially maybe to hire John Tortorella. Right. And the Rangers are bringing in Vigno or Vigno, whatever his name is. Verrazano. Um, there, there are two coaches who have been outed by the teams that are now switching coaches potentially. Right. Because they're both competent, but it has to do with the style that they're playing currently with the team. You know, right. it's just a new voice. It's that fresh, fresh message type of thing. Um, I think it's good for the Rangers. Uh, as far as you know, going beyond that, uh, it's interesting to see what happens with Messier now. You know, he doesn't really know. He wants to be a coach, and I think he's starting to realize that nobody's going to hire him as a first-time NHL head coach Especially with no not experience, here, which we've talked about. Right. Maybe somewhere else, but I don't know if he wants to be somewhere. else. So that's it, the thing. Well, it's funny. He and turned he, down the Edmonton job. Right. He had right. that opportunity. And if, well, I think if he goes there, that's the other thing. And it's, it's what we talked about with Kid last week, two weeks ago, is that Kid really wanted to be here. It wasn't a splashy celebrity move. Yeah. You know, so it's like he people want to see him be a coach and be successful. But if he goes somewhere and his heart's not in it, how successful can you expect to be? Yeah. If he goes somewhere and it's not the right position, how successful can you expect him to be? And then that's going to hurt his stock even more. If he would have went to Edmonton and had two terrible years and get fired, the Rangers aren't going to be like, oh, great, now he's good. <laughs> Sweet, he's available. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you can't expect that either. So it's, it, it makes for a weird situation. And, and obviously I believe that the press conference was originally scheduled for tomorrow for the yeah. Rangers, the head coach. Um, I think that's still on. So we can kind of react to it a little bit more next week, I think, after we hear what he has to say and just kind of, you know, get get our first, you know, uh, kind of New York based on nothing opinion that we just look at him and say, yeah. like, I don't like the way he pronounces the word it. Yeah, so I don't or think his he's name. Be a good coach. You know, if he doesn't pronounce it Verrazano, I think we're going to be let down. <laughs> so it'll be interesting. Uh, and then, last but not least, my favorite story of the week. Uh, um, it's hard to make light of it because someone has died. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who it is. I, I and to be very honest, I haven't looked at a lot of the 
the details of the case, so maybe you can you know add a little bit more to it. But um, Aaron Hernandez, um, the sensible one in the relationship of the Patriot tight ends. Um, yeah, he was the sensible one. Yeah, yeah. Um, murder? I, I really don't know. I just know there's like a dead person <laughs> and Aaron Hernandez associated with it in some way. Well, it came out and you never like to hear these stories. Obviously, it's terrible. A, a man has been murdered. Um, but... It came out as one of those things that just kind of, like, leaked into the air the other day on social media. They were like, Aaron Hernandez being brought to the Patriots facility. We're not sure why. There's some line of questioning. It was very vague. Right. You know, then you find out that someone he knows or was once associated with in some capacity was murdered. And you say, oh, wow. You know, maybe they're bringing him in to kind of... Let him know it's something terrible. You feel for the guy. Then you find out that the police are bringing him in for questioning. And they want to search his place. And there's a rental car agreement. And then it starts to get dicey. And that's how these stories always take their turn. And, you know, um, the fact that he was uncooperative or the police were deeming him uncooperative, I don't think it's too much you have to lean on because a lot of times that'll happen when a guy wants to go get a lawyer or a guy, you know, won't let you search his house without a warrant, something yeah. like that, which if you do your due diligence, uh, look, you, your, that's your yeah. American right, yep, you know, but the police look at it as, okay, well, if you have nothing to hide, you should let us look anyway, right. but let's be honest, nobody in their right mind would do that. So yeah. you're going to lawyer up, you're going to get a warrant, you're going to go through all the channels, you're going to allow that to happen. But in the last day or so, we've seen that uh, the rent-a-car that was in his name is very seriously implicated in the case. It seems to be very important, and it's a little foggy as to what happened there. Yeah. And now today they announced that he is some way directly linked as a suspect. Yeah. Now, they don't know, again, what that means. It's all allegations at this point, but basically the long and short of it was Aaron Hernandez was out with three other individuals at some point. They went somewhere, and then Aaron Hernandez... And two of the individuals went back to Aaron Hernandez's house, and the other individual was then found dead hours later (laughs) at a field near Aaron Hernandez's house in the area. So, I mean, it's a smoking gun, no pun intended, but really not at all. But how do you look at that? So you have, yeah, exactly. So you have A and B very clearly defined, and then you have D. right. And then there's this big question about C as to what happened. And the the letters around them really point to, hey, Aaron Hernandez might have something to do with this. And it's hard to ignore that. Yeah. Then there was Um, a wacky story that came out yesterday. I don't know if you saw that. Um, But there was a a friend or associate of Hernandez from a couple years ago that claims that he accidentally shot him in the face. Yeah, I saw that too. So, What's I mean, you brandishing a firearm enough so that you can shoot somebody you know well in the face by accident? I mean, what is this, Dick Cheney? Like, what's yeah. going on? It's Dick Cheney without the political clout. No, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it seems like he's no Tony Soprano, rest in peace. Yeah. Um, you don't put the body, you know, not far away from your house. Like, you send him to, to Connecticut or something, like, you know, get him out, get him, you know, get out of Dodge. Come on, Aaron Harriet. Like, you gotta be smarter than Absolutely. This is. You gotta be smarter than Gronkowski. 
But right, yeah. <laughs> Why can't you just go get STDs and tattoos like your your teammate and you know, dance shirtless like. on a table like yeah. it's Coyote Ugly? Um, I'm like I'm reading here. ABC News reporting that he dest- Hernandez destroyed home security system. Cell phone handed over in pieces. Like, uh, is that the kind of thing that? That happens if it's, you're, you know. It's not. I mean, quite honestly, it's not, obviously. You guys know this, but the thing to look at is once something like this happens and there's allegations brought up, then people start delving into your character, into your past. Yeah. And obviously things come up in the present, like uh, why would you destroy security footage? Right. Why would you give somebody a broken cell phone? Are we supposed to believe that it's just sheer coincidence that you are possibly a suspect in a murder case and your cell phone turns up broken in pieces? That you're just really careless, you know? And then you look back into his past again and you find this incident where he may or may not have accidentally shot someone in the face. So why are you pulling a gun on somebody close enough to shoot them in the face? And the charges were dropped, but then a suit was filed, and the suit was dropped, and but now the guy has reopened the civil suit. So it's very sketchy, but when you just look at his pattern of behavior now at this point, and that's the buzzword that they like to throw out there, yeah. this does not look good. No, it's, it, it's crazy. Like, it's really crazy. Um, I'm looking forward to when we can start calling the Patriots a circus. Oh, they have Tebow. God. Yeah, it's close. They have a murderer. You know, I yeah. think they're, they're on the path. Like, the Jets <laughs> never had a murderer. You know, no, we had Sanchez and a butt fumble, but, you yeah. know, like... They murder are, trumps all. That, murder that's trumps butt one. fumble yeah. every time. And an active player. Not like an OJ, I've been retired murder. This is yeah. like a, yeah, I'm, I'm like a big important part of your offense. All jokes aside, from a pure football standpoint... This is good news for the Jets. <laughs> yes, yes. Huge. I know. I, we don't want to make yeah. light of the murder, but in, in all seriousness... It's not called a murder. I think that makes it... Set, like, okay, in that, in that it, tone... Well, it is. Yeah. We don't want to make light of the man's death. We don't want to do that. Sure. But here's the thing. When you look at it, just just look at it from a, from a character uh, a standpoint. You would never want to wish an injury on a player, on, like, a rival team. Right. Because you don't want to see anything poorly happen to a guy who, you know, just happens to play in the wrong colors, but by all accounts is a good person. Absolutely, yeah. When you look at something like this, it's like, to be quite honest with you, if Aaron Hernandez is the guy who committed this murder, if it comes out to be that, so now he goes to jail and can no longer play for the Patriots anymore as a talented football player... Well, then, honestly, to hell with him. Right? Yeah, you know what I mean? Right. It's, it's like people who come out, like, if I, you know, if I say, like, oh, it's good for the Jets. Like, oh, that's in, such in poor taste and the poor guy. Well, not this no, poor guy. No, he's not the, the poor, poor guy. guy. Who's dead. You know, if you're making a terrible, terrible decision like this, or if you're that kind of person that can literally kill another person with, you know, just in cold blood, that's something that, you know, again, like, to hell with you. It's not the same thing, yeah. It's um, not the same thing. It's, I mean, it's kind of unprecedented-ish, you know? Like, for this type of, like, Ray Carruth, you know, comes to mind because he, you know, he was, but he was a no-name wide receiver on, you know, the the Panthers at the time. This is a guy who's an important factor on, you know, one of the best teams of all time, one of, you know, the biggest dynasties in football, a huge part of their offense. Yeah. Um, Kind of really, you know, a a unique circumstance. So, uh, we'll see what happens. I, I do I? Th- I don't. If I had to guess, if I had to like wildly, you know, bird law, you know, just speculate, you know, throwing things out there, not sure. a lawyer. I would guess that maybe he knows, but 
wasn't involved, like didn't do it. Like, yeah, I see I, what you're saying. Like, I, I don't see how a guy who's a pro football player just happens to accidentally murder somebody. You look know, at the Ray Lewis defense, honestly, yeah. really. I mean, you know, clearly, listen, Ray Lewis, the, everything was fine. He was acquitted, all the charges dropped, so whatever. But clearly, there was pressure put on Ray Lewis, not because Ray Lewis had something to do with the murder, you know, back in the day, but because he knew something. Yeah, and. That'll never come out, probably as part of the agreement. But the reason why they dropped the hammer on him was because they had to get info out of him. Yeah. And this might be one of those situations. And, you know, it might wind up blowing over for Aaron Hernandez. But at this point, today, 1257 on, you know, June 21st, whatever it is, it, it, he is still very much up in the air as a suspect. So it's we'll see what happens. And it's it's an unfortunate story, really, at the core, again, because the loss of life is the thing that, that takes yeah. over everything. But it just honestly blows my mind when somebody in this position can be so senseless. Yeah. Um, I think you're going to see Aaron Hernandez hop on Tebow's back and run away in, on a white Bronco. That's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite. I don't know who said it. I got it somewhere, but um, oh my favorite my take God, on this. Oh, my God. I had not heard that. Yeah. That is fantastic. Yeah. Um, so that's where we are. That's where we stand with uh, this whole Patriots thing. And, uh, you know, uh, that, that's kind of it. You know, we've gone way long, uh, but a lot of good stuff today. We had a lot of stuff to um, talk about. I hope you enjoyed it. You know, we had a really good time, I think, with this one in particular. This is a lot of uh, fun uh, information. This is fun stuff. When the Mets win and Wheeler debuts and, you know, a Patriot gets in a lot of trouble for anything, it's yeah, good news. It's, it's a good step. You know, that's the best we have as Jet fans. So uh, thanks for joining us. You know, we'll see you next time. Uh, I'm Tom. And I'm John. Have and, a good one, guys. This is the New York. 20. The New York 20 is brought to you by Rings. Whether worn on the hand of a king or collected by Sonic in the Emerald Hill Zone, Rings Standalone is the premier piece of unisex jewelry.